Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac 
whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Let me pray for us as we remain standing. Now, Father, we know in our best moments that there is nowhere else to go because, uh, indeed, you do have uh, words that are words that take us beyond the grave and uh, to the wonderful new heavens and new earth in the heavenly new creation. Uh, in our worst moments, we, uh, we, we doubt that hugely. And so we pray tonight that as we look at your word, you would indeed reaffirm, re, uh, help us to re-believe if there's any such a word uh, to uh, believe more fully uh, that there is nowhere else to go but you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit. Well, do please uh, take up your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 17. If you're here for the first time or the first time for a while, you won't know that we've been looking through Genesis uh, from chapter 12, and uh, we'll be going right through to chapter 22 by the time uh, we reach Easter. When I was growing up, my best mate said to me, I'm going to make millions of pounds one day, and when I do, I'm going to buy you an E-type Jag and a house by the sea. And you know, at the time, I think he meant it, both that he would make millions of pounds and that he would buy me those two things. But that was, um, well, 40 years ago or more. And the last time I saw him, which was about six years ago, he hadn't made a million pounds uh, in fact, he was basically unemployed with a part-time job as a window cleaner. And, you know, all those years have gone by, and even if he won the lottery and won millions of millions of pounds, I don't think for one minute that he would have any inclination to buy me a car and a house, which is no comment on him. It's just, you know, that's what mates say to one another. The point of the story is this. The longer a promise goes unfulfilled, the harder it is to believe it's going to come true. And that is no big deal when the promise was made by a 15-year-old mate, uh, and I really don't need an E-type jag and a house by the sea. But when your whole life is banking on the promise, it's quite another matter. And that is precisely how it is with the gospel. We've just been singing it. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've been promised a wonderful heavenly home, eternal life in the new creation. In the presence of God, with all his people forever, blessed, enjoying life to the full. It is the most spectacular promise. But we don't have it yet. And it's the not yet having that makes a life of faith so hard to live, that makes believing so difficult. And we see that very struggle in the man Abram, who we've been looking at in the last few weeks. Uh, four weeks ago, uh, you'll remember, and if you don't remember, it's really important if you want to understand the whole Bible to remember Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. 
In those verses, God made a great gospel promise to Abraham. A threefold promise. You don't need to turn it now, but do uh, commit it to memory. Chapter 12, verse 1, uh, a promised land. Chapter 12, verse 2, a promised people. You are going to be a, 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 a man who has many, many people under you. You know, many, many descendants. And the promise that through Abraham, all nations would be blessed, verse 3. But as the years went by, and although Abraham got a glimpse of the promised land, as the years went by, Abraham and his wife Sarai found it harder and harder to believe because they didn't even get the slightest whiff of them becoming parents. They didn't have one child, let alone a great nation of children. And so last week in chapter 16, we saw their faith in God's gospel promises begin to wobble, to say the least. Indeed, uh, with chapter 6 open and uh, reminding you of last week, you will remember that rather than trust God, Abraham and Sarai began to sing Frank Sinatra's most famous song, even before Frank Sinatra was born, even before the song was written. All the way through chapter 16, they were singing, I did it my way. Look back to chapter 16, verse 1, in case you didn't spot that they were singing that last week. Verse 1, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. God's promise to them of being a great nation isn't happening. And so even before the first verse is completed, Sarai began to hum the tune, I'll, did it, I'll do it my way. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. See what Sarah's saying? I won't trust God to deliver on his promise to give me children. I won't live by faith but by works. I'll do it. I'll do it my way. I'll give my maidservant to Abram to have a child. And you see there that as, Abr- as Sarai started to hum the tune, Abram found it to be a catchy little number and he joined in too. But singing the song was a calamitous collapse in faith. On a par, as we saw last week, as uh, my colleague Chris was uh, very helpfully preaching, on a par with Adam and Eve's fall in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. Doubting God's goodness, doubting God's word, and saying, I'll do it my way, it's the ultimate sin. It's the arrogance, you see, of saying, I know better than you, God. I know what's best. I know how to do this. I don't need to trust you, Lord. I'll do it my way. But doing it our way is a disaster, always a disaster. And doing it our way has terrible consequences. It always has a terrible impact on others. And we saw that last week in chapter 16. Uh, Hagar, Sarai's maidservant, was passed around between Sarai and Abram like a commodity to be used, like a piece of meat. Rather than being treated like a precious person made in the image of God, She was treated like nothing. Chapter 16 was a disaster. And so as we come to the end of chapter 16, we're bound to wonder, how will God respond? You might expect God to say, okay, have it your way. If you want to do it your way, I'll leave you to it and I'll wash my hands of you. And then for God to have nothing to do with them ever again, to let them rot in their own mess, stew in their own juice, and for his great promises never to be realized. 
well, you might expect God to lash out at them like the ancient gods of Greek mythology, bringing down a mighty judgment on them for this terrible thing they did. One way or another, you might expect chapter 16 to be the end of the Bible, or at least the end of the story of God working through Abram and Sarai, but no. There is a chapter 17, which is why I'm standing here right now. And it's a chapter of God's extraordinary, exuberant grace. Here in chapter 17, the Lord God Almighty reinforces his great gospel promises to Abram by making a covenant with him, a kind of special binding agreement. Off the back of chapter 16, it's a most remarkable, compassionate, gracious, loving, kind, faithful and forgiving response from God. And that should be wonderfully encouraging to us, to all of us, but especially to those of us here who are weighed down by our failures, by huge mistakes we've made when we've ignored God's gospel promises and lived our lives our own way, when we've sung the Sinatra song, when we found it hard to keep trusting God because we've waited for so long and nothing seems to be happening. For those of us like that, and I guess there's a number of us here, if not now, there will be in the future, you will feel like that, we can delight in this chapter. We can delight in it first as we see the first point that hopefully will come up on the screen. God's gospel promises repeated, verses 1 and 2. Look at verse 1 of chapter 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, 99, it's 13 years since the end of chapter 16 you can see that in the last verse of chapter 16 we were told Abram was 86 13 years have passed Abram is 99 and that is an important that's important for us to 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 to, uh, note for a number of reasons first God has been silent for 13 years and as we've seen through these past chapters God is always silent when Abram fails to act in faith So God has said nothing for 13 years. And that tells us Abram and Sarai's sin in chapter 16 was very serious indeed. Second, Abram is now 99 years old. And so the chances of him fathering a child is diminishing even further. We might have thought it was beyond him at 86, but he clearly wasn't. He fathered Ishmael through Hagar. But now 13 years on and with Sarai, his wife, getting on for 90 With another 13 years past, it seems like all the less likely that God's promises will come true. You know how it is. Someone says to you, I'll buy you an E-type Jag and a house by the sea. And 40 or more years later, you're driving an S-Max and can't even see the sea. And you think they're not going to keep their promise. The longer the delay, the longer you doubt it will ever happen. But of course, any promise depends on who made the promise. It depends on whether they are trustworthy and whether they have the means to keep the promise. And that's why the names of God here are so important. Look again at verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. At first, notice the first name. The writer of Genesis tells us that it was the Lord who appeared to Abram. Now, I know many of you here, I don't know all of you, but I know many of you here, and I know that you like reading the Bible. And because you read it so often, you can miss this point. Whenever you see the word Lord written like that in your Bible, in capital letters, it's the name Yahweh. The Lord, the promise-keeping God of loving kindness. The God who wants to know his people and be known by them. The God who wants to have a real and living relationship with us. So it is the Lord who appeared to Abram. 
And he said, verse 1, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, the omnipotent God, the all-powerful, the almighty. Now that's really important because if you're 99 years old and have waited not just for the past 13 years but for years before that to see the fulfilment of gospel promises that seem to be impossible to come true, then you have to be sure about these two things. Firstly, that, the, that God is Yahweh the Lord, that he is the God who does keep his promises and who wants to keep his promises. And you've also got to be sure that he is El Shaddai, God Almighty, the God who is powerful enough to keep his promises. I might want to keep all sorts of promises, but if I don't have the power to do them, they're useless. I might be very powerful and be able to keep them, but if I don't want to, what good is that? But the Lord, Yahweh, El Shaddai, God Almighty, what a powerful combination. That's what Abraham needed to know. That's what you and I need to know God, about God, and especially when we've waited a long time for his precious promises to come true. In March, it will be 35 years ago since I heard the wonderful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and responded to it. So uh, on that day, uh, 25th of March, 1983, through Christ, I came to know the gospel promises that were, in fact, first given to Abram. Oh, I didn't realize that at the time. The promise of being part of God's people and of one day being with God in the promised land, the heavenly new creation, and of knowing this wonderful blessing of life forever, forever with God who is the source of life and joy and vitality. But 35 years have passed and because for most part, God's gospel promises are fulfilled in the future. I'm not saying there's no benefit of being a Christian now. I'm just saying the vast majority of the promises are future after death. Because of that, from time to time, like Abraham, I start to doubt if God will keep his promises. And actually, all the more as I get older, which is a strange thing, isn't it? It pops into my head that maybe I should do it my way rather than God's. You know, get all the things I want now in this life, just in case it's not true just in case the next life isn't there or won't deliver. See, as the inevitability of my death gets closer, and when you're 55, you think about it more than when you're 25, I think to myself, what if I don't end up in the heavenly new creation? The past 35 years of my life have been invested in all of this, in all of it coming true one day. What if I need to do more to have biblical faith? What if life beyond the grave is not possible? All that unbelief comes flooding into my mind. Then I need to know that God is almighty, powerful even over death and able to raise me from the grave, just as we've been singing already. And not just powerful enough, but also that he is the Lord, the promise-keeping God who loves me and wants me to be with him forever. Do you see? Isn't that wonderful? So just like Abraham, I too need to know, verse 1, the Lord who is God Almighty. And I need to know what he expects of me, and that too is in verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Oh my goodness, is that what I've got to do? Now look, we must be clear here. This is not the Lord asking Abraham to live a perfect life. Phew. We've already seen that these promises come by faith, by 
believing God, believing his promise by taking him at his word. We saw that back in chapter 15, verse 6, where Abram believed God. And remember, that this is another key verse to remember. It was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God, and then he was seen to be a righteous man, therefore able to be in the presence of God. Repeatedly through these last chapters, we've learned that God wants Abram to believe him, to have faith, to trust his promises. That's it. And the goalposts don't move here. So as the Lord says to Abraham, verse 1, walk before me and be blameless, he isn't saying, I expect you to be perfect. What he is saying is this, and I'm thankful to my colleague Ben Cooper for this. He says this, Abram, I want you to do what you failed to do in chapter 16, namely to trust me. I want you to trust me to bring about my promises. That's what I'm asking of you here. In other words, I want you to live by faith, not by works. I want you to do it my way rather than doing it your way. And then God said, verse 2, I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. You're doubting, you're doubting that I can do this. I am going to do it. And the rest of the chapter is doing just that. Those are like the headlines and the rest of the chapter just unfolds. But it is the Lord God Almighty reaffirming his promise in a, in, by making a covenant and then telling Abraham what it means to respond by faith. So God's gospel promises repeated. Secondly, God's gospel promises reaffirmed in a covenant. Verses 3 to 6, uh, 3 to 16, but just firstly 3 to 6. Look at verse 3. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. This is not a new promise. This is exactly what the Lord promised back in chapter 12. But two things happen here. First, note the scope of God's gospel promises are clearly stated as being international. There's a first sub-point on, uh, on the screen. God says it three times here, that Abraham will be the father of many nations. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. And that's why God told him to change his name, verse 5. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your, Abram, your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. That's what Abraham means, father of many. And that great gospel promise is being worked out right here, right now. Abraham, the father of many nations. Because you see, in Romans chapter 4, we discover that Abraham is our father by faith. Now, we're not Abraham's ethnic descendants, but because we have put our faith in the gospel promises of God, we are Abraham's offspring by faith. And we're looking forward to being taken to the promised land, the new creation. And we're looking forward to enjoying the great blessing of being with God forever. All that is possible through faith in the greatest of Abraham's descendants, Jesus Christ. In verses 3 to 6 then, the focus is on the promise of Abraham being the father of many nations because that's the part of the promise that Abraham and Sarah were struggling to believe because they hadn't yet had one child. But the entire promise from Genesis 12 is restated here. So in verses 7 and 8, we have the promise of blessing of being in personal relationship with God. You see at the last phrase in verse 8, I will be their God. 
and of being in the promised land in verse 8. Now look, if you come and join us on Wednesday evening here in this building because we will be celebrating this very promise. Uh, Chris mentioned it, 7.45 for 8, our mission evening. We'll be hearing from our mission partners around the world and we'll be hearing about people being converted to Christ from different tribes and nations. And when we do, it is precisely this promise that is being fulfilled. But at the same time on Wednesday night, we will hear our mission partners share with us times when they feel, I'm guessing, I don't know what they're going to say, but I'm guessing they will share with us times when they feel low and when they have serious doubts about whether the gospel is having any impact. Think of our mission partners in Asia, where Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism has a grip on entire nations, where the church is not flourishing where the gospel message appears to be impotent. And mission partners, when that happens, when they have been slogging away, they've got these gospel promises and they are slogging away year after year, they'll be tempted to think to themselves, is God really going to bring a people of faith from all nations together in his heavenly new creation? And they'll be tempted to think, if we are going to see people turn to Christ, perhaps we need to do something more. You know, Just teach the word of God. Ask people to trust the promises. Maybe there's something more we need to do. Perhaps we need to do something else. Well, let's do it our way. And you don't have to go to foreign lands to start thinking like that. When we look at Britain, we see the church shrinking. In the last five years, the Church of England in this area, in the Diocese of Sheffield, Barnsley, Sheffield, Rotherham, Doncaster, in the last five years, church attendance has, has, has shrunk by nearly 10% in five years. Not going to be much church left at this rate, is there? And the nation becoming less and less interested in the gospel, and frankly, the wider church becoming more and more unfaithful, we can easily be tempted to think, is the answer just to keep preaching the gospel? Shouldn't we try something else? I'll do it my way. Then we have to know that the Lord, Yahweh, who is El Shaddai, God Almighty, has promised and he will do it his way. Indeed, that is precisely what he says here. Look at the repetition, which is for emphasis from verse 6. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant Halfway through verse 8, I will give an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. I will be their God. God will bring about his gospel promises. Abraham will be the father of many nations. And it's so certain that God is able to speak as if it's already happened. End of verse 5, I have made you a father of many nations. I can say it as if it's happened because it's going to happen. It's a promise you can count on because... I am the Lord who keeps his promises and I'm God Almighty who is able to keep his promises. First then we see the scope of the promise. It's international. The Lord God Almighty will make a people from all nations and second under this point, the promise is made in the covenant of circumcision, verses 9 to 16. Just cast your uh, eye down through uh, verses 9 to 14. And two words jump out to you again and again. Perhaps you noticed them as Penny was reading them. The two words are covenant and circumcision again and again. 
And so having told Abraham Abraham that he will keep his gospel promises, God said to Abraham, verse 9, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. Abraham, you've got to keep my covenant. Now this is what we saw in verse 2. This isn't some new thing where you've got to do something. It's you've got to live by faith. And I want you to live out your faith by what? Circumcising everyone in your household. That's verses 10 to 14. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you're to keep. Every male among you will be circumcised. And then he gives all the detail. Abraham circumcised every male in your household. That's how by faith you keep my covenant. That's it. Isn't that gracious of God? He doesn't expect us to live up to an impossible standard. He didn't give us something that we're never going to be able to do. Oh, I'm going to keep this great promise for you. Now, what should we get you to do? Uh, You've got to cross the the North Pole single-handedly. You've got to swim the Atlantic Ocean or climb Everest. Or all three. Let's do all three. He doesn't get us to do the impossible. He doesn't ask us to live a perfect life. Because this is not a covenant of works, but of grace. And it's appropriated by faith. So what I want you to do, I want you to trust me. And the way you show you trust me is you give every child in your family the sign of faith, circumcision. That sign will mark out you and your descendants as my special people. That's what this whole section is about. You see, you're going to be a great nation. I want you to be marked out as a special people. Now look, for us today, as New Testament believers, the covenant signs are baptism and communion. Those are the two signs Jesus gave us. It's not being baptized or taking communion that saves us any more than being circumcised saved them. Remember, Abraham was declared righteous back in chapter 15 before he was circumcised. And that's not my point. That's Paul's point in Romans 4. Abraham was declared righteous because he believed in God, because he put his faith in God. That's it. We're saved through faith, not works. And so even for him, circumcision, for us, baptism and communion, are not works. They're just the outward signs of faith. Signs that tell us that God will keep his promises. The signs are more about God than they are about us. So, as we take communion later on this evening, we come as a people who are not trusting our own righteousness. We will say these words together. We're not even worthy to pick up a crumb that might have fallen under your table. We kneel at the rail in a posture of humble receiving, deserving nothing. And as we receive bread and wine, we're doing nothing but believing, trusting, nothing more. It is by faith that we're saved, not works. And the covenant sign here, given even verse 12 to those who are just eight days old, the covenant sign shows that it is by faith, not works, because eight-day-old babes have done nothing. The gospel promises repeated, God's gospel promises repeated. Secondly, God's gospel promises reaffirmed in a covenant. And thirdly, and very briefly, God's gospel promises responded to by faith. I might want to put on the end of that, eventually. You look at verse 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? 
And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. (laughs) Despite God repeating his gospel promises to Abraham, how gracious of God. Despite him confirming his gospel promises in a covenant, despite him telling him exactly who he was, I am the Lord, the almighty God, despite all of that, still Abraham was wobbling. He can't believe it's going to happen. By the time this comes through, verse 17, I'll be 100 and Sarah Sarah will be 90. So Abraham said to God, verse 8, can't you rethink your plan, God? Isn't there a bit of wriggle room here? Room to negotiate, perhaps? Never mind the miracle of having a son through 90-year-old Sarah. How about Ishmael? We've already got him. We might as well use him, don't you think, God? I want to do it my way again. And even after all that God has said, still Abraham is finding it hard to trust him, which in a strange way is rather reassuring, isn't it? Because that's exactly how I am. And I imagine it's exactly how many of you are, if you're honest. Finding it hard to trust God. Finding it hard to take him at his word. When all these years pass and we still are not in the heavenly new creation with God's people enjoying God's blessing forever. How reassuring then to hear God's gracious response, even in the light of such lack of faith. Verse 19, then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. God not only restates his commitment to give Abraham a son through Sarah to keep his promise and and establish the covenant, but he gave Abraham even more detail. You'll call the boy Isaac. You are going to have a son. I'll even give you his name. As for Ishmael, verse 20, no, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I'll make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I'll make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. See him reiterating it? God's promises will be kept God's way. It is through Sarah. And for that to happen, Abraham must have faith. Because the covenant comes by faith, not by works, not by doing it my way, not through Ishmael. That was their way. And so, verse 23, on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all the those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and he circumcised them as God told him. And as you read on, you see he circumcised young and old. Verse 24, I don't know whether he circumcised himself or somebody else did it, but Abraham was circumcised age 99. Verse 25, Ishmael was circumcised age 13, old and young. And people of all nations, verse 27, those from Abraham's family and foreigners in his household, old and young, Jew and Gentile, because God's promises are for all nations. And Abraham's offspring will be those included in the promises by faith. So give them the sign that it's by faith. Not just the bloodline, but a people from every tongue and tribe and language and people. Everyone who puts their faith 
in Abraham's greatest descendant, Jesus Christ. The longer time passes without a promise being fulfilled, the harder it is to believe. Have you noticed that? So we might think it would get harder to keep trusting God the longer we go on as Christians. But on the other hand, the more we know of God's character, the more we know that he is the Lord, the promise-keeping God who loves us, that he is El Shaddai, God Almighty, the more we know that, then the easier it is to trust him. And of course, we have Jesus Christ. And in him, we see the loving, powerful, gracious Lord conquering death. So we know he can deliver. And we have 2,000 years of history of seeing him gathering together a people of his own, a people from every language and tribe and tongue and nation. And so we're much better off than Abraham. We have all the evidence we need to be a people of faith. So let's pray we would be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for Abraham. Uh, We thank you that we have his example here, a brilliant example on the one hand, as a man of faith, a man who believed you, and then it was credited to him as righteousness. We thank you too that we see that that man of great faith, probably the great example of faith in the Bible, was also a man who wobbled, just like us. And so we pray you'd help us to be those who trust you, knowing who you are, God Almighty, the Lord. And may we indeed be children standing on the promise, fixing our eyes on Jesus, our soul's reward, keeping going till the race is finished and the work is done, walking by faith and not by sight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.